Welcome to the Empowered to Connect podcast, where we come together to discuss a healing-centered approach to engagement and well-being for ourselves, our families, and our communities. I'm J.D. Wilson, and I am your host. And today in the show, we've got Whitney Trotter um, from Memphis, Tennessee. Whitney is, amongst lots of other things, a registered nurse um, and does a ton of work around um, eating disorders and specifically is beginning... Uh, to actually host a conference very soon um, called the BIPOC Eating Disorders Conference. And uh, you may hear, just as a point of reference, uh, the phrase eating disorders. You may hear us reference it as disordered eating. We know those are both phrases right now um, that describe uh, this situation. And so uh, don't be thrown off by the wrong term there. Just know that we are seeing both interchangeably in our work right now. That's just a little matter of side. On the show today, though, Whitney is going to talk about the conference that she has coming up, um, or she's going to discuss a whole bunch of different things, um, but particularly how um, marginalized communities, people of color, communities of color have been um, have been kind of left out of the discussion on food and body image and eating disorders, all of those things. And um, what she's got to say is uh, not just clinical, factually based, evidence based, all of that. Uh, it, it is just so compelling and it's just a different way of thinking about the, these issues that if we're just being honest, a lot of us have never thought about before through the particular lens that she is looking at it through. And so, um, gosh, we love Whitney and we're excited for you to get to hear her today and hope that you will um, follow the link in the show notes below to sign up to, um, either simulcast the conference, like watch it uh, streamed or to be um, live and in person for it. So uh, just just a fantastic conversation with her um, about something that is just so tough. And as parents, we, that we just have to know um, that we've got to be equipped for, especially in this, um, in this uh, day and age. And so uh, without any further ado, please enjoy this great episode with Whitney Trotter right after our ad. Our episode today is brought to you by Ryan and Rose. The good folks at Ryan and Rose have been creating family products for everything from pacifiers, pacifier clips, universal bottle holders, bags, totes, all that kind of stuff, uh, and are longtime huge supporters of the program here at ETC. And so uh, they have done something incredible for our listeners. For those of you who go and buy something at ryanrose.co, so ryanandrose.co, you are going to get 20% off your order by using the code ETC20. Uh, a lot of times I know for, for those of us who are buying uh, gifts or just trying to be thoughtful about where our money goes in the community, it is important for us to understand um, how to support folks that are also um, just making a difference in their world. So I would just tell you from everything that uh, we can we can tell you that Ryan and Rose and their entire company, uh, Lindsay and Brett, their entire company are making a massive difference in the world, uh, in the way they uh, run their company, the way that they do their products, everything. And so uh, we cannot say enough about them. They're an incredible, incredible partner to have. And their products are just high quality. They last. They're incredible, beautiful to look at as well. So if you need a baby gift, you need something for your family, you need something to uh, hold a water bottle on the many different vehicles you push these days or uh, transport your kids around in, ryanandrose.co is the place to go. Use code ETC20 at checkout to get 20% off your entire order. That's ETC20 at checkout at ryanandrose.co. 
Well, as we talked about in the opening today, uh, we've got Whitney Trotter with us, and um, Whitney has got a groundbreaking new conference happening soon, and so we wanted to have her on to talk about it um, and give you, um, who are listening today, a chance to sign up uh, for that conference in time. And so uh, Becca McKay is also here with us from ETC. And so, Whitney, before we jump into um, everything that we're going to talk about today, do you mind just kind of introducing yourself and kind of giving a context for, you know, the the work you do and, and what the conference is coming up? Absolutely. Yes. So I'm a um, dietitian nurse and hopefully soon to be um, psychiatric nurse practitioner. Awesome. Um, yeah. So I do a lot of work in anti-trafficking and then of course eating disorders that we're going to talk about today. Awesome. Okay. So for um, for people who are, are listening to this today, they're like, I don't, how does this connect? Like we're supposed to be talking about parenting. Like, why are we doing this? Um, so why don't you kind of set the stage for what, what was the need behind the conference even starting? And then why, why was that a driving force for you to then get this off the ground and make this happen? Absolutely. So I have a lot of experience in working in like um, pediatric, um, adolescents. I was a former Laboner emergency room nurse. And my husband and I actually did like the PATH classes years ago. And, um, but we, and it's a long story short, but we ended up getting pregnant and then had a pretty traumatic delivery. But I, we were very passionate. Um, my husband used to work at MAM about helping under-resourced youth Mm -hmm. and really wanting to be kind of, um, helping the best that we could in the foster care community. So I actually volunteered. Shelby County has a foster care review board. Um, and so I did that as kind of like the nurse expert, Mm -hmm. if you will, working at Laboner. Um, and so after I stopped working at Laboner, I ended up working in eating disorders and human trafficking. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I realized that like a population that was never really included, um, in any of the advocacy research or treatment were people of color that had, mm-hmm. or people that had marginalized identities and foster care, um, and adoptive youth. Wow. So, and, and if you're listening from outside Memphis right now, you're hearing a bunch of Memphis and, uh, acronyms and all that. So, um, Laboner's a, a children's hospital here. And then you heard, uh, her husband works for MAM, which is Memphis Athletic Ministries, which is a, um, athletic ministry that happens here in town. So now you're caught up and you're, you're a Memphian if you're listening outside of it. Um, um, so when, when you're kind of seeing these things, um, and you start to poke around and go, man, there's gotta be some resources out here for mm-hmm. people of color who are beginning to struggle with this. What, what did you find? There's nothing. Mm-hmm. So one of the, one of the things when we talk, and y'all would know better than me, I am, um, you know, I only have professional experience. I don't have personal experience with this, but when yeah. I started yeah. kind of being on the treatment team for kids who, um, had a history of being a foster care or adoption, one of the things is like, they were very rightfully so nervous to leave the family unit. Right. And we know this like typically in like families of color are very like communal. Mm -hmm. And in the 10, in the state of Tennessee, we actually do not have a residential adolescent eating disorder facility. Well, that can really complicate things if your kid needs to meet those criteria for a higher level of care, because then where do you go? And there's all sorts of like, who has medical decision-making? Can they go out of state? What happens? Like, is it going to be more traumatizing to admit them into a residential facility? Right. And so these were all things that we were facing as we started getting more and more kids that were, especially with COVID hit. I mean, we saw astronomical numbers with um, feeding and eating disorders related issues of body image with COVID. 
Can I ask a question for people that are listening who don't know, when you say eating disorders, I think probably some people know exactly what you're talking about and others of us are just less familiar and just have a few things that pop to mind. Could you talk about kind of the scope of like what kinds of things you saw in your work, what kinds of things are happening in in this population um, and, and just kind of like give folks a little bit of a peek behind the curtain when you say that, what kind of things are you talking about? Yeah, that's such a good question. So typically, you know, when we think about eating disorder, stereotypically, we think of like very affluent, thin, young white girls. And we know that eating disorders just do not discriminate. And so eating disorders, it's really kind of that intersection of feeding yourself. And if you have like any body image, you don't always have to have body image, but it's the kind of the nuance of how food relates to your everyday life, right? Like, am I, do I have the ability to feed myself in a way that like honors my identity, my culture and my bodily needs? Mm -hmm. And what we're seeing in adolescence is there's an obsession with diet culture, but there's also so much trauma that they have that can kind of make that integration of feeding themselves um, in a substan- in a substantial way very difficult. Mm-hmm. And I think with our with our population of adoptive and foster parents um, primarily, there's just a lot of like kind of battles that happen between parents and kids around food. So there's a lot of like. Are they eating enough? Are they eating too much? Are they hoarding food? Are they stealing food? Are they hiding food? Are they lying about food? So I'm just, um, let me just say, we're so thankful for your work because I think seeing that huge gap is just the first step in then, um, you know, a lot of people see the gap and they get sad about it and you didn't, you did something about it. And so I'm just here to say thank you for the work that you're doing in this population because man, what a tough journey to walk and especially when you don't have the appropriate resources and care and folks that actually understand where you're coming from. Yeah. So I I think one of the things I'm thinking about just as a parent even is I'm hearing this and I am uh, immediately trying to filter back through all of my you know, recent parenting experiences and go, oh crap, am I starting to build into this or, or are we playing into this or, or are not paying attention or don't have our eyes open in some particular way? What are, for some, for parents who are listening, like, and they're wanting to be vigilant, wanting to be able to like make ways for their kids to be healthy and to, and to not have, um, the self-consciousness, the, the issues that come with being concerned about eating, how can they begin to see warning signs? What are some of the things they can be looking for? And then what might be some some helpful first steps they could take um, if they begin to notice these things in their home? Absolutely. So I think one of the first things is that parents can do is really examine their own relationship with food and body mm-hmm. and like as best as they can, like not doing any dieting, chronic dieting, um, you know, negative body self-talk because kids hear everything. Even my yeah. five-year-old, like I'm like amazed at what she repeats. I'm like, <laughs> oh no, you know, I'm like, terrified might be a better word. For terrified, that. right. <laughs> terrified. <laughs> I'm like, oh gosh. Um, so I think like first, like just really examining what your own relationship looks mm-hmm. like. And then I, I really believe in not moralizing food. Like what we've really tried to do is like food is neutral, yeah. but we know that food does different things for our body. So like, yes, we're going to go out and have ice cream. We're, we're not going to justify the ice cream by, you know, doing a hundred jumping jacks. Right. Mm-hmm. But you right. also have to have an apple and peanut butter. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so those are some of the things I think is really keeping a neutral, um, neutral attitude with food. And then it's really important, you know, if kids have any history of food insecurity, we know that that's a direct correlation that can lead to trauma, but it can also be um, a predisposing factor to eating disorders. Yeah. And so really validating their experience and giving them like food autonomy is what I like to say, like letting them be a part of food choices. It's really good. It's really good. So it, the conference is coming up. How can people register for the conference? What, why would they want to attend this? And should parents of uh, children of color or different ethnicities in their own, should they have a particular interest in, in jumping in and being able to, to get the content that you're delivering at the conference? Yes, I'm so excited. So the conference is the first of its kind. There's never been anything like it, which is a little scary because I, um, those that know me in real life, I'm really bad with technology. So it's a little laughable that I'm playing conference, but um, we've got some amazing speakers and it was really important to have people with lived identities. And so a good friend of mine um, who identifies as an adoptee is going to be doing a phenomenal presentation on adoptee and kinship and um, eating disorders. Um, I'm also going to be doing some IG lives with a new eating disorder organization called Equip. And what I think parents will really appreciate this, because like I said, because in the state of Tennessee, we don't have a lot of resources. Um, Labonner and myself have been working with Equip that if we have a kid who is like in an adoptive home or in foster care, that we're really going to empower the parents Mm -hmm. to be able to stay here and access eating disorder treatment. Um, and they actually are, um, they have people with lived experiences of foster care on like the equip side. Mm-hmm. And so they're going to be kind of on one of the panels, which I think is really important. Um, we're going to be talking about a lot of food culture. And so there's somebody that's uh, Southeast Asian. There's somebody who, um, we've got two presenters who are black and going to be talking about um, what it's like with like body image and being in a transracial environment and how that influences food and culture and body image. So super excited. So good. So much to unpack. And I think just the... um the connection between food and our identity is so strong. And so it just sounds like your your conference is being so thoughtful about bringing those things to light, having just open conversations, which, man, I just think we need more of. <laughs> we just need more open conversations so people know, because I think so many of us um, still kind of have that mindset of like, ooh, eating disorder, that sounds like a scary big thing. Right. That's not going on in my family. But I think even just flipping the script and being open to the conversation and hearing people's experience, um, and especially folks who have who have lived experience, like you just said, is just going to open people's mindsets, hopefully. Um, and so I hope people that are listening just jump in and become learners and listeners, even if they're not sure, you know what I mean? Even if they're not sure what they're dealing with, because food is so, so huge. I was just thinking about on the way here, I forgot to pack my lunch today. And so my entire like commute, all I'm thinking about is, man, why did I forget lunch? Now I'm going to have to do. So it is like so much entwined with our day-to-day life. And so I just, yeah, I love the conversation. I love that you're going there. Um, 
as a, can I ask one more question as a nurse, when parents are really, you know, parents get kind of stuck thinking about, okay, I want to be supportive, but also they have to eat healthy. I love what you, the story you just shared about ice cream. Is there any other advice you would have to take away some of the parental fear? Like I'm afraid my kid is not eating healthy enough. As a nurse, is there anything you could, any just thoughts or advice or just things to think about there? Yeah. Oh gosh. We could have a whole nother conversation on this. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I probably opened a can of worms. I just couldn't let you go without asking. I'm sorry, JD. So what is very controversial, um, in a lot of presentations that I do is that the BMI, which we kind of like classify as health, right? Mm-hmm, the BMI right. was done 200 years ago on all European men. Yeah. And so what we've done is we've adopted it as this like standard of health Gosh. and it, it doesn't correlate mm-hmm. to, yeah. you know, it has no room for gender, ethnicity, culture. And so that's a lot of, that I, I really stress with parents is mm-hmm. we want to be thinking about food scarcity. We want to be thinking about trauma. We want to be thinking about food neutrality. Um, and again, it's like food does different things in our body, but mm-hmm. how can we introduce food in a safe way? Mm-hmm. And I, I will also say one of the things I learned from my daughter's pediatrician who I love is what we've tried to do is if um, the country of origin is not the U.S. and mm-hmm. we're worried about a kid being you know, too high on the growth chart or are falling off, is that what we've tried to do is get the growth charts from the country of origin and plot mm-hmm. them on that. And so that's also what I really encourage parents to do is ask like, you know, is there a country of origin that I should be, that we should be using as a medical team to plot my kid on the growth chart to make sure we're not missing anything holistically? Oh, that's so good. That's a really good thought. Well, let's, we we don't have to have a whole separate conversation. Let's have, let's have more of this conversation. So I'm thinking even about, so myself as a, as a transracial adoptive dad, so I've got um, kids who are black and I am not. And, you know, we have, attempted in all the ways we can without, um, well, whatever. We attempted in all the ways that we can to begin like um, education and regularity of just being in black spaces food-wise and culturally and all of that. For families who are, are kind of, maybe you're, you don't have easy access to a cultural outlet um, nearby of your kids' ethnicity. It's like, what, are there any first steps that you would think of in um, in those settings, like ways to maybe like, get over the hump of like, oh, I'm stuck. I don't know where to start with this process. And and even like within your own home and all of that, like ways that you've seen or that you would advise people getting started. Oh, that's such a good question, Judy. <laughs> um, gosh. So I can, I can say what I've done with some of the, some of the kids that I've worked with is really just asking them, like, do you want to learn more about your food culture and history? Mm. Like maybe there's some documentaries, um, age appropriate, you know, like maybe we can go to a museum, like maybe like, what are some of the like foundation easy steps Mm -hmm. that we could do? And then I also think it's about like building community. Um, I think that's really important too, you know, like, one of my friends is Filipino and she like taught us all how to make, I was saying pho and she was like, Whitney, it's pho, it's pho. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so she was so great of like, okay, you're pronouncing it wrong and this is how we're going to make it, yeah. you know? And that just yeah. meant so much. So I think anytime you can build community, um, it's, it's just so transformational. Yeah, that's so good. And then I, I'm just thinking before we go, um, in the, uh, you know, at, Again, from a parental standpoint, when we're looking at, um, and I'm, I'm not sure if what we're seeing in the home might be the beginnings of an eating disorder, might be um, 
it's it's full blown, and I need to know kind of how to equip myself to fix my face, to not freak out, but to begin to like enter into that space with our kids. Like maybe first, first steps in responding or, or, or first, um, identifying factors of there might be something that we need to pay some more attention to here food wise going on in our home. And then maybe some first steps of intervention as well. Yeah. I always think like, I always approach it as like parents, just be curious, be validating and curious and just say, you know, how are you feeling about your body these days? Are you feeling strong in your body? Um, how are you feeling about food? Do you, are you feeling dizzy? Are you getting hungry a little bit more? Are there any foods that you have a fear of eating? You know, we think Mm. carbohydrates get such a bad rap and those tend, those tend to be the ones that people restrict first. And so I always, and I encourage parents to look, right? Like if y'all are doing pizza night, there's nothing wrong with doing pizza night, right? Right. But like, make sure there's no fear associated with the pizza Mm -hmm. or the parents aren't saying like, I'm just going to get the cauliflower crust because I'm watching my figure. Because all that tells the kid is, you know, I, I need to also be watching my figure. I need to also be dieting because if mom and dad are, then I want to be like mom and dad. Mm. Gosh, that's so good. Okay. Whitney, before we go, let us know where we can sign up for the conference, how we can take part in it. Yeah. Okay. So, and I also want to say, I'm one of the things I'm so excited about this conference is we're trying to make it as accessible for everyone as we can. Um, so a good friend of mine is actually going to do a presentation all in Spanish and then it'll be live captioned in English. So we have something for, um, people whose their their first language is Spanish. And then we also hopefully will have live ASL interpreters for the deaf community. Okay. Um, And so it's a, it's a hybrid, so it'll be recorded and you'll have access for six months. And then you can also, you know, view it live. Um, We have an Instagram, it's BIPOC.EatingDisorders. And then um, the website is BIPOC Eating Disorders Conference. So, and I'll link it. um, I'll send you all the website and y'all can link it in the show notes. Okay. That's awesome. Whitney, thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, we look forward to having you on again very soon. Yes. Thank you so much. Well, just incredibly helpful stuff from Whitney. Uh, Thank you, Whitney, for joining us on the show today, for um, leading us in this space and for, for leading out in this, this conference, like being, being the one to uh, put this together is not easy, but um, being a voice for those who have been marginalized or, um, or othered um, is, is just vital um, for our advancement as a people. And so uh, that's just great. I, I would say one thing that I take away as a transracial adoptive parent, that just think I, I've never even thought about checking out uh, growth charts for different countries based on your kid's uh, country of origin or their, their ethnic or cultural background. Um, that is something that could be wildly helpful. And I think the principle there is obviously being students of our children, right? Um, paying attention to what we need to pay attention to in order to uh, have a framework for uh, giving our kids a healthy perspective of who they are and their background and their cultural identities and all of that. And so uh, none of this is easy. Obviously, parenting is not easy at all. Um, and I would say that uh, the, the theme that we see popping up over and over and over again in our work is just the need for us as parents to examine our own selves and the things that we are passing on uh, to our kids to make sure there aren't things that are sneaking into that um, formula that come from a place of our own hurt or past trauma. And so uh, definitely things to consider there. So thank you for Whitney and leading that. Uh, Check out the show notes for the link to uh, register for the conference there. 
there. And then uh, lastly, I always say this. Uh, one of the things that's been a hallmark of uh, Empowered to Connect for uh, the entire time we've been around has been our parenting curriculum. So we, we've had a parent training course that has existed for, uh, gosh, 10 plus years, and um, we are nearing the end of a rewrite of it and uh, beginning the process of uh, training all, all of our current facilitators that, who currently teach those courses um, in the new curriculum. It's so exciting. We are so ready to share this with you guys and share this with the world. Uh, what we wanted to do this summer is just begin walking through some of our new um, connecting practices that, that exist in that curriculum and just introducing you to the ideas. And so uh, next week and beyond, uh, throughout the summer, we're going to be just sharing these uh, different connecting practices that we have um, been working on um, over the last, gosh, three years. We'll tell you all about that process uh, in next week's episode. So if you're listening live uh, week by week, next Tuesday when our episode launches, it will be the beginning of this new series and we'll be telling you all about the new uh, curriculum we've been writing and working on and it's super exciting. So hope to hear from you then. Hope to see you then. Uh, lastly, let me just remind you, um, if you've not rated or reviewed the show on Apple Podcasts or uh, shared it with a friend who might enjoy uh, the content or, or it might be helpful for them, let me just remind you to, to please, please do that. Um, it does help us to be able to get in front of people who um, are needing this content as much as, as we all are. And so um, just we are humbled as we watch. Uh, every week, it feels like we are charting in different countries where we did not even know that we had um, listenership. And so thank you for sharing. Thank you for rating and reviewing. Um, and please continue to do so as it, as it does help us to become um, visible in places where uh, folks are trying to find content like ours. And so um, just thank you and please do rate, review, share the podcast with a friend if you have not already. Uh, and if you have already, you know, do it again. What's the harm in doing it twice, right? <laughs> uh, for everybody at ETC, for uh, Kyle Wright, who edits and engineers all of our audio, for um, Tad Jewett, who is the creator of the music behind the Empowered to Connect podcast, and everybody on the ETC team, I am J.D. Wilson, and we will see you next week on the Empowered to Connect podcast.